Good morning, church. My name is Steve. I'm glad you're here. If you would, stand up. We're going to praise God.
Amen. Please be seated. Aren't you glad you're in the Father's house today? I know I'm glad that you're in the Father's house with us today. We want to welcome you to Capital City. If you're watching us online, welcome. Uh, wherever it is that you may be watching us uh, from, on vacation, 
at home. Hopefully you're not driving in your car trying to watch this. Pull over to the side if you don't mind. I don't want to get a phone call later telling, telling me I distracted you kind of thing. But again, we're just thrilled to have you with us today. My name is John Sutphin. I'm the executive minister here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, just thrilled that you've taken time to come and join us today. Uh, hopefully uh, you notice on the back of the chair in front of you, there's a card that says connect on it. We'd love to connect with you, especially if you're a guest with us today. We'd love to just get your name and your email address just so we could provide you some information about our church, about the ministries that are taking place here. Grab that card. You can fill it out. You can drop it off in the offering boxes a little later in the service. You can hand it off to one of our First Impression team members out in the lobby as you head out today. A couple of things. Let me make you aware of things that are going on here over the next few weeks. Next Saturday, we're having our first half-day spiritual retreat. We do, uh, Doc usually does three of these throughout the summer. And so it's going to be down at Cove Spring Park from 8.30 to 12. Um, I think you can go to our uh, capcity.info and sign up for it. Um, if by chance you don't find it there, just give us a call at the office today, or this week, excuse me. Uh, we want to make sure that we've got plenty of materials for you when you come. Again, that's next Saturday, the 18th, down at Cove Spring Park, just off of the Thornhill Bypass. There, would love to see you, 8.30 to 12. You'll have a wonderful time uh, relaxing and worshiping in a very unique setting. Also, don't forget, during the month of June, we're continuing to make our nudges uh, as we try to do this each month, trying to make 1,000 nudges each month, 12,000 throughout the course of the years. We're just trying to nudge people maybe a step closer to Christ and so uh, this month we're doing these little ducks you may have seen them out there in the lobby if you haven't grabbed some yet I encourage you to do so uh, you can just hand them off to a friend you can hand them off at the drive through line uh, we saw a couple weeks ago somebody posted a picture on our Facebook group they actually took the card and stuck it in the ATM machine at, at one of the gas stations here in town so if you've got a unique thing that you do with one be sure that you snap a picture of it share it on our Facebook group but again just trying to just trying to nudge people just to, just sharing the love of Christ with them in a very unique uh, way. And so we hope that you will uh, grab some of those and help us do that this month. Also, we continue in our summer staycation we've got going on. And today's our uh, church cookout that will take place after the 11 o'clock service. I hope that you will be able to come back if you're not involved in one of our groups that, that meets next hour. But come back, join us. We'll be out at the party shed. We've got hamburgers, hot dogs, all the fixings. All you got to do is show up and just uh, grab a plate and enjoy a meal with us. Now, when it comes to, uh, to, to food, you know, I'm a connoisseur of food, just in case you have not been able to tell. I, I love to cook. I love to bake. I love to grill. How, ma how many people in here do we have that love to cook? Okay, can I get just a little bit of light? So I, and how many, how many people love to grill? There we go. How many people love to grill? Okay. Now, uh, the other day, you know, a few years ago, I bought this, uh, this grill that I got. It's, that's not me, by the way. Um, <laughs> Younger, younger version of me, yeah, with dark hair. So, uh, a few years ago, I bought me this grill at Sam's. You know, it's got it's got that uh, that that little electric hot plate, which I think is a waste. I'm not sure why they even put those things on grills. And then it's got the propane, and then it's got the charcoal, and then it's got the smoker box on the side. And I thought, man, this is this is the kind of grill that every man wants to have. And then I got to looking. I thought, I thought, well, you know, I wonder what the uh, wonder what the most expensive grill is that's out there. Anybody just, just th anybody got to guess what the most expensive grill that's out there is? Throw a number out to me. 20, I heard 20,000, 3,000. Anybody else? 25,000. You're getting there, Tommy. Check this out. We found this one online. Check this bad boy out. The Beef Eater Gold Plated Barbecue Grill, $164,000. You have to order these, and when, and when Steve and I were checking online, we thought it was interesting that we noticed one has been ordered to be delivered to Shadrick Ferry Road to some guy named Steve Patterson. <laughs> like, 
Like, holy cow. I mean, I thought that was something you got like after you'd served at a church for 40 years, not just 27, but, you know. Uh, now, you know, when it comes to cooking and when it comes to grilling, you know, I know some of us have sort of like our own little secret uh, recipes that we like to do, secret sauces. Anybody willing to share what yours, what yours is? Anybody got one they're willing to give to us this morning? I, I, got, a, I got a Chick-fil-A sauce. I heard some cooler over there. Uh, we've got a prize. We've, our, 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 our music team back there is listening to see who's got the most unique, because we've got a prize for the person that has the most unique seasoning. or Anybody, you know, this is sort of like McDonald's, two all-beef patty special sauce. sauce. Yeah, anybody? Somebody said Thousand Island dressings. Cinnamon apple jelly on pork chops. Okay, that's a good one so far. Anybody else? I know there's a guy sitting in the room this morning who has a secret um, seasoning, but he probably won't give it up that he puts in his potato soup. Am I not right? No, so, am, am, I not, am I not right, Marty Pinkston? That's what I'm afraid of. So. But now I've been told, okay, that, uh, that Marty's secret recipe, okay, he, 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 whoever he has given it to, he swore it to secrecy. But you know what happened years ago? His mom submitted it into one of our church cookbooks. So if you can find an old church cookbook that's got Ruby Pinkston's name on it, Lisa Mackey's got it? Okay, there we go. Lisa, be sure to post that in our Facebook group later for us. I got cinnamon apple jelly. I got something for you, Tab. I'll get it to you here in just a minute, okay? But, you know, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to cooking, especially for men, we, we take pride in our cooking, don't we? You know, just a couple weeks ago, it was my birthday, and we were doing dinner over at my, my mother-in-law's, and, and she's like, now, I'll take care of the grilling. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got the grilling. My sister-in-law come hey, let me take care of the grilling. You know, it's your birthday. You shouldn't. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got the grilling. I'm going to do the grilling. Because men, we take pride in that kind of stuff, don't we? But, you know, sometimes pride, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of the food that you fix, the things that, the, the work that you do, but sometimes pride can get in the way, can't it? Sometimes pride can get in the way of, of God doing th- stuff through us and us being all that God has called us to be. And today that's what Doc's going to be talking about as we continue in this series, Bloodstained Pews, how our pride can sometimes get in the way. And we've got to be willing as Christ followers to say, God, I'm going to put it down. I'm going to lay it down. It's, this is all you. This is all about you. And I hope that's what we'll come to today. Let's stand and continue to worship this morning.
hope you were able to sing those words. Why don't you have a seat for a second because I'm sure you might be tired. <laughs> and I want you to really focus for these next few moments, you know. Um, we just sang a words about I'm going to give everything to God. I'm going to give him everything. If I had even more to give him, I want to give that. And that was the whole point of that final verse of that song. If I had the whole world and nature, everything, I'd give it to him. That is a price that is far too small for what he's already given back to me. We follow the example of Jesus Christ who gave everything and he gave up all of his, his own status so that we could have what we have right now, what we're about to do as we focus in on his sacrifice. And as we get into this moment where we are going to 
memorialize what he did on a cross. I want to be mindful of something that I want you to be thinking about through the rest of the service today. It comes from Psalm 139. These words uh, from the NLT. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the SLT, that's Steve, uh, letting translation, it's going to say these words right here. And I want you to be able to say them. Reveal in me what you see. Everybody say those words for me. Reveal in me. You've got to be yeah, a little bit more. Okay, a little bit more. Okay, hold on. So we're going to try this again. You're going to say these actual words. Now, you might not want to pray that prayer. That's fine. Okay, don't if you don't want to. But we are trying to strive to be the people that God wants us to be. So this prayer, which is coming from Psalm 139, you know, that's a little shorter version of it. It's maybe something that you can remember. But I want you to say these words together. Ready? Here we go. Reveal in me what you see. Now do this with God. Okay? You don't have to say it to me or anybody else around you. Now just pray this to God. We're going to try it again. Reveal in me what you see. And this is going to be a very challenging prayer. You might not think that. It's going to be a very challenging prayer because God is going to start pointing out things in you that, you, that are going to keep you from being able to serve him effectively doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. doesn't mean that you don't have his grace and forgiveness. But what's happening when you pray a prayer like this is he's going to start letting things pop up into your mind that need to be shifted. And a lot of that comes down to our pride and what we want. We want to be in charge. We want to be the king instead of saying, Jesus, we want you to be king. So say it. Reveal in me what you see. Just keep saying it over and over again today. And watch to see what God does if you pray that prayer in earnest. About to go to the tables, and there's a bunch of them around the room. A lot of times people just come up here, you know, they like these tables right here, they're real close, and you can see them. But there's a bunch of them, right? There's three here, three over there, some around you there. But go to those tables, and I want you to be thinking about these things as you do that and meditate on what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is a, a way for us to come together, and when we take the bread and the juice, we remember that his body and blood were both sacrificed for, for us. And this is a way for us every week to come together and re be reminded of that. This is why we do what we do, because of his amazing sacrifice. Maybe you have something that you want to give to get uh, to uh, as an offering today, and you uh, call this place your home, and you want to be able to do that. This is also the time for you to do that. We have black boxes called offering boxes, and we have buckets called generous buckets. That makes sense that they're that way. Uh, but the offering boxes, you can place uh, your typical offering that you want to bring. And if you have something outside of that you want to give to people, uh, in this community who are in need, every one of those dollars goes to people like that. So we would love for you to be mindful of that. I'm going to pray for us because I want this prayer to be on your hearts one more time before we go to the tables. Let's be thinking about what it is that God can do when we surrender ourselves to him entirely. God, I know you're listening to our prayer right now, and not just the one that I'm offering up, but the prayers of every person that are in this room right now. Some of them have nothing to do with what I'm saying right now. Some of them are just sitting in so much anguish and turmoil that they can't think of anything else except what they're going through. And I ask God that you will give them peace. I ask God that you will release them of this anxiety so that they can see you. Because all they see right now is the anxiety in front of them. They see that they are just struggling with the effects of this world as it drags upon them. So God, I ask that you give them peace. I ask, Father, that as people start asking this, praying this prayer together, revealing me what you see, that they can be changed, that your spirit will do its work within their hearts. And so when they leave this place, they, they have a mission that they didn't have before to allow you to do the work within them so that they can be an effective light to those that are around them. So I say again, revealing me, Father, what you see and what I cannot see. Take away my pride. Let me be everything that you want me to be. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 
Let's go to the tables right now. morning. Uh, this is my daughter Emerson and her best friend Kenzie. Today I get the honor of baptizing Kenzie with Emerson. Uh, Kenzie's been coming to church with us for some time now and a couple weeks ago we had the discussion of what it looked like to follow Christ and she said that's what I want to do. So Kenzie I'm going to ask you your confession of faith. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Kenzie, because of your uh, confession of faith, me and Emerson will now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. A rabbi, a monk, and a pastor walk into a church. We've all heard these kind of jokes before. They poke fun at stereotypes. The monk has a cross, the rabbi has a beard, and the minister, he wears expensive shoes. Now before we dismiss this as just another childish joke, take a look at Luke 18, where Jesus starts a parable in almost exactly this way. Let's read. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple to pray. Sound familiar? Jesus continues. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. <clears throat> oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, have mercy, forgive me, a lousy sinner. Maybe Jesus paused here and looked around at the crowd giving them a few seconds to figure out where he was going with this. Then he finished. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For most of us, this would be our mic drop moment. And while Jesus isn't afraid to call people out, he isn't doing it for TikTok views. He wants to give people life. And he knows that no matter how righteous we think we are, pride is lurking, ready to drag us back down to death. It's a simple parable with a clear message. Pride puts us in a place only God can be. And those who seek it out will be humble. But when we humble ourselves before God, he graciously invites us to join him in his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Glad you guys are here, really glad, and I'm really enjoying my $164,000 grill. That's pretty cool. <laughs> How many of you guys like Jeff Foxworthy? I, I do. I think he's pretty funny. Here's a couple of his You Might Be a Redneck jokes. You ready? If you think loading the dishwasher means getting your wife drunk, you might be a redneck. <laughs> if you've ever cut your grass and found a car, you might be a wet redneck. If your mama has ammo on her Christmas list, you might be a redneck. If there are more than five McDonald's bags in your car, I'm a redneck. <laughs> if you think subdivision is a math problem, you might be a redneck. If you think taking out the trash means taking your in-laws to a movie, you might be a redneck. And if you pick your teeth from a catalog, you might be a redneck. All right. <laughs> How many guys are rednecks? Okay. My hand's up. Okay. Now, this next set is not as funny. They are not Foxworthy jokes. And you don't need to raise your hands or anything, but you do have to be ruthlessly honest. Are you ready? If you think you've got the spiritual gift of criticism, you might have a problem with... By the way, guys, there is no spiritual gift of criticism. If you give more attention to your weight, your shape, your hair, your makeup, and your clothes than to your heart and your soul, you might have a problem with... If people at church would be surprised at what you are like at home or at work, you might be a... If you have a tendency to talk about yourself too much, you might have a problem with... If you've ever been tempted to quit something good because people don't appreciate you, you might have a problem with... If people that who know you think that you are disputatious and argumentative. By the way, I've been called both. You might have a problem with. If you hate being told what to do by just about anybody, you might have a problem with. If you have a hard time admitting you're wrong, even when you think you might be, you might have a problem with. If you have a hard time asking for help, even when you really need it. Been there, done that. You might have a problem with. And if you rarely, if ever, use the words, I was wrong, please forgive me. You might have a problem with, and I'd use those words if I ever was wrong, right? You might have a problem with pride. 
I'm about six for ten, I think. How about you? I actually pulled these from an article called 41 Evidences of Pride by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. It's kind of a sobering list. Now, I know there is good pride and there's bad pride. We're going to be talking about the bad kind of pride this morning, which may be the most common and the most dangerous of our sins. It's killing us, and it's keeping people from God. Guys, we're kicking off a series that we're calling Bloodstained Pews. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me tell the story of two young medics who found a 900-year-old church to be their hospital in World War II. They treated whoever was wounded, American, Germans, French, didn't matter what uniform they wore outside that church. Inside the church, it was about healing the wounded and the dying. You had to leave your rifles at the door. It was a cool story. And those who attended that church, when they saw the blood-stained pews, they didn't clean them, they didn't replace them, they didn't cover them up. They left them there as a reminder that the church is supposed to be a place where the wounded come, the injured bleed, a place of healing, a place where the blood of others mingles with our blood and with his blood. And that's what we want Capital City to be, right? A church with blood-stained pews. Well, if this is going to be a place of healing for them, it had better be a place of healing for us. You see, if you don't admit that you're broken, and if you're not finding any healing here, why would you expect them to admit that they're broken? And why would you expect them to find healing here? So we're going to start out this series by lasering in on some of what I think are roadblocks to healing. Roadblocks. These get in our way. They not only keep us sick spiritually, which is way worse than being sick physically, these are barriers that prevent God's grace from working through us. And the worst of the roadblocks is pride. Pride hinders healing. It's going to hinder your healing. It's going to hinder theirs. It's a big deal. It's really hard to see in ourselves, and it's so hard to root out. So we're going to start here. Steve already set it up. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, two of the toughest verses in all of the Bible, a prayer that a whole lot of us might not want to pray. You ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. God, point out anything in me that offends you, please, because I want to be led down that path of everlasting life. See, guys, it really doesn't matter what people think of me. It really doesn't matter what I think of me. What really matters is what God thinks of me. I need to know what God thinks of me. I need to know what God thinks is wrong with me, right? So do you. You see, some of you guys put off going to a doctor physically because you don't want to know what's wrong with you, right? You'd rather not know. You can get away with that physically for a while. But is that the path you want to take spiritually? Because your spiritual health, guys, is way more important than your physical health. So we're going to try to say this prayer together again. We're going to say the whole thing, not just the snip that Steve had you read. Are you ready? Read it with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's a hard prayer, guys. 
Are you ready? Pride. C.S. Lewis calls it the great sin. The essential vice, the utmost evil is what he calls it. He says there's one vice of which no person in this world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see in someone else, and which hardly anyone, except perhaps Christians, imagine that they're guilty of themselves. There's no fault that makes a man more unpopular, and no fault with which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. In fact, he says, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that, all of those are flea bites by comparison to pride. He says, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Holy cow. You see, pride is the sin that is most likely to keep you from reaching out for a Savior. Because those who won't admit they're sick don't go to a doctor, right? Pride is the sin that fogs your brain and your eyes, keeps you from seeing yourself clearly, and it keeps you from seeing people around you clearly. And pride is probably my biggest spiritual battle, and I suspect it's the biggest spiritual battle of many of you, right? So how many of you guys have heard of an old dead guy named John Edwards? Jonathan Edwards, right? He was one of the most powerful preachers in our country about 300 years ago. He's dead now, right? Some of what Edwards preached annoys the bejiggers out of me. But sometimes he hit it dead on. And he wrote this essay called Undiscerned Spiritual Pride, which he called, pride he called, the first and the worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age. And that was 300 years ago. Guys, it still is the worst and the first cause of the spiritual errors right here, right now. He identifies seven markers of pride. I'm going to give you six of them. Remember, you've got to be honest. We're asking that God point out anything in us that offends him. So God, point out if there's pride in me that I don't see, show it to me because I want to be led along a path of everlasting life. Here are six of his seven markers. Number one, fault-finding. Number two, superficiality. Number three, defensiveness. Number four, presumption before God. Number five, desperation for attention. And number six, when you neglect others. I'm going to unpack them just a little tiny bit. Fault-finding. Here's what we do, guys. We filter out the evil that we see in ourselves and we filter out the good that we see in others. Psychologists call that the fundamental attribution error. When I do bad things, I've got a good reason. When you do bad things, you're just a bad person. I have an excuse. You're just a jerk, right? When I'm late, I had important things to do that I had to take care of. When you're late, you're just lazy. When I cut you off in traffic, I've got important places to be. When you cut me off in traffic, you're a jerk. When I glance at porn, my marriage is going through a tough time. When you glance at porn, you're a pervert. When I leave a pitiful tip, the service is terrible. When you leave a pitiful tip, you're self-centered and cheap. Jesus said that we're prone to look for a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye while ignoring the stick that's sticking in our eye. That's pride, guys. When we look harshly at others while we're letting ourselves off the hook, 
That's pride. And that can be a killing sin spiritually. Number two, superficiality, putting on pretenses. I want to look good around you guys, but I don't care as much about how I look when you're not looking, right? Sometimes we're more concerned what others think of us than we are with what we're really like inside. So we tackle the sins that others can see, and we make peace with the sins that others don't see. Ever struggle with superficiality? I think I do. Defensiveness. You're just thin-skinned. You're spiritual wuss. You're a spiritual snowflake. You can't stand to be criticized, critiqued, challenged, rebuked, even if the criticism is fair, right? Did you know that a mature Christian will not be shattered by the criticisms of men? And that we often are. Of God, maybe, but not of men. In fact, one of my favorite essays on humility puts it like this. He says, if you're honest enough to realize that you're messed up, and you are, if you're honest enough to admit that you blow it, and you do, then why would you be angry if someone else agrees with you? You'd be a hypocrite to know that you're unworthy and be offended when others see that you're unworthy. That kind of thin-skinned defensiveness is pride. That's a killing sin. Presumption, presumption before God. Sometimes, guys, sometimes we forget that God is God, right? And we treat the all-knowing, all-powerful, transcendent, all-holy God with considerably less respect than he deserves. That is an absurdly arrogant pride. Sometimes we're strong on boldness and weak on humility in our prayers. Sometimes we need to reflect on the words of the psalmist. The psalmist says, serve the Lord with reverent fear. Rejoice with trembling. Isn't that weird? Rejoice with trembling. One translation puts it like this. Serve the Lord with fear, tremble, and bow down before God. I know, guys, that God wants us to see him as our dad. But sometimes we blow God off kind of like we blow our earthly dads off. And that's stupid, right? Desperation for attention. We're guilty of that, another symptom of God dishonoring pride, Edward says. Sometimes we want the praise of men more than we want the favor of God. That's pride. I want people to like me. I want men to respect me, to honor me, to look up to me. So I say the right things, do the right things, wear the right clothes, drive the right cars, support the right causes, because I want to be liked by men. Sometimes more than I want to be liked by God. That is pride. It'll kill you. One more from Edwards' list, number six, neglecting others. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves that we don't really see the people around us, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're needing. We get all self-absorbed. That's pride, and it'll kill you spiritually. Or we do it this way. Sometimes we pay more attention to people that have got money and power and who are liked than we pay attention to people around us who are weak and unattractive and dissed. That's pride. One guy put it like this. He says, pride prefers some people over others. Pride honors, though, that the world deems worthy of honor. We give more weight to their words, their wants, their needs. He says, there's a thrill that goes through me when people with power acknowledge me. And we consciously or unconsciously pass over the weak, the inconvenient, the unattractive, 
because they don't offer us as much. And that's the kind of pride that'll kill you spiritually. Do you get that? I'll show you. See, Jesus told a parable one time. Maybe he based it on something that he'd seen. Maybe he just makes the story up. I don't know. Luke sets it up like this. He says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, but they scorned everybody else, which means he told the story to people like us. This is our story, right? For people who struggle with pride, even though I think that the story means just as much to people who are broken and unworthy and know it. Verse 10, two guys go to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, the other is a despised tax collector, a Pharisee and a tax collector, kind of like the top rung of their spiritual ladder in the very bottom. People who diss Pharisees today forget how admired they were back in Jesus' day. They were kind of the Delta Force, the Navy SEALs of their world spiritually, the very best of the best. And as honored as they were, the tax collectors were just as universally despised. These Pharisees separated themselves from anything or anybody they thought was impure. In fact, the very word Pharisee means separated, kind of the elite. And the kind of people that the Pharisees separated themselves were people like these tax collectors. These Pharisees were meticulous about the law. In fact, they counted the laws in the Old Testament. They found 306, I mean 613 laws. There are 365 don'ts and 248 do's, and they memorized them. And they made it their goal in life to do the do's and don't the don'ts to the letter. And the tax collectors are kind of like, rules? Are you serious? If the Pharisees had gone to a church like this, it would not take a pandemic to get them to social distance. Tax collectors, well, the odds of them coming to this church at all would have been pretty remote, maybe on Mother's Day because their moms made them come, right? The very best, the very worst people in their world, the most respected and the most despised. Verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, the Pharisee stood by himself, separated himself, and he prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Kind of like he thinks he can purchase the admiration of God, right? Do you think anybody can actually earn the admiration of God? Pharisee separates himself physically, focuses on all the good that he has done. Look at me, God. Look what I've done for you. Look at how good I am, God. Before you jump on him too much, think about the words that you hear at funerals. Think about maybe some of the words that you've said at funerals. He was a good guy, right? Worked hard, loved his family, loved the cats. God wouldn't have the audacity to keep him out, would he? Went to church, prayed sometimes, read his Bible sometimes, helped the prayer, helped the poor sometimes. If there's a heaven, surely he's earned his way in, right? Maybe that's the way you think about yourself sometimes. Ever thought something like this? I do more good than bad. I treat people right if they treat me right. As if my salvation is about what I can do. That's just pride. See, the Pharisee is playing a comparison game, right? I thank you, God, that I'm better than cheaters, sinners, adulterers, guys like that tax collector. 
See, it's pretty easy to find people that you're better than, right? It's always easy to look good when you compare yourself to someone that you're better than. Why don't you stand next to Jesus for a while? Why don't you stand in the presence of God for a while? Because at that moment, guys, all of your arrogance, all of your self-righteousness, all of your prides will be stripped away just like that, right? Listen, guys, this Pharisee twit in Jesus' story, it's our story. We think our righteousness is measured by how we compare with others. Maybe we think our righteousness is measured by what we think of ourselves. Maybe we think our righteousness is measured by what others think of us. Guys, the only measure that counts is what God thinks of us. And he doesn't care about how good we think we are, and he doesn't care about how good they think we are. He knows it all. He's God. And what he cares about most is what we do with Jesus. So what are you doing with Jesus? In fact, when I think about the prayer prayed by this Pharisee and I measured against Jonathan Edwards' symptoms of pride, I see in this guy's prayer fault-finding, superficiality, presumption, a desperation of attention, and a neglect of others. This Pharisee, according to Jesus, is in real spiritual trouble. Verse 13. Jesus says, But the tax collector stood at a distance, separated himself too, but for a different reason. Jesus says he didn't even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, kind of the opposite of presumption. Instead, he starts beating himself in the chest out of sorrow and says, oh, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Guys, that's a good prayer. That's a prayer worth praying. Now, if you start digging a little bit, this would have been quite a twist for those who are listening to Jesus. <coughs> I don't think they'd expect to find a tax collector in the temple praying at all. They probably would let him in, at least into the outer courts. But really, what's this guy doing in church? And he wouldn't even look up towards heaven. And I know we pray with our heads bowed. But with this guy, it's simply because he thought he was unworthy to look into the face of God. Starts beating himself in the chest, which would have looked weird then. Starts begging God just for mercy. Flat-out grace. He's got no spiritual resume. He doesn't have a list of things that he's done to impress God. So it's just, God, I need mercy. I got nothing. But I'm a mess. A ruthlessly honest, incredibly perceptive prayer. Now, guys, I used to think that forgiving someone was the toughest thing that God ever asked me to do. It's hard. But I began to realize that accepting God's forgiveness of me might even be harder. You say, I find it hard to forgive people. I'm pretty good at carrying a grudge. I'm good at it. I think I even find it tougher to trust God's grace for myself, to accept God's acceptance. And a lot of you guys are like me. Grace is hard to give. It's even harder to receive. God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. It's a great prayer. One guy put it like this. He said, if the biggest sinner that you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you've got a problem with pride. 
This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that wrote 13 of the 27 books of our New Testament. And he says, I want to do what's right and I can't. I want to do what is good and I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong and I do it anyway. It's an honest man. Could you actually pray that prayer? It's not about my spiritual resume. God, it's just God be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. Here's the Apostle Paul. Same guy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. I am I am the worst of them all. That's present tense, guys. It's not past tense. I am, not I was. I am the worst of them all, which means that Paul recognized it's all grace. In fact, the closer you get to God, guys, the more you recognize how unworthy you really are, that it's all grace. The closer you get to God, the more your pride is burned away. It's all grace. I can't fix me. God can I am not worthy because of anything that I have done for God. The only reason I am worthy is because of what Jesus has done for me. Right? And then verse 14, Jesus says, and this is huge, he says, I tell you the sinner, not the Pharisee, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, he is the one who returned home justified before God because those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled and those who humble themselves God's going to lift up. I was playing just a little bit with some different endings to this parable because there's so many ways that this scene could have gone wrong, tragically wrong. What if the tax collector never really heard or accepted God's answer? From the bottom of his heart, over and over, he prays to God, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And God whispers, I know you're a sinner and I still love you and I forgive you. You see, every time you pray that kind of a prayer from your heart, that's what God whispers to you. But what if the tax collector never heard God? Or what if the tax collector never accepted that those words were the whisper of God? What if the tax collector just felt that God's forgiveness was too good to be true? We do that, don't we? How tragic is that? How stupid. Or what if what if instead of hearing God's whisper, all he can hear are the words of that Pharisee standing over to the side? Because they hear that from us. The Pharisees over there saying things like, I thank you, God, I'm not like those other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm not like that dude. And our stupid words can drown out the whispers of God's grace for the people that we're trying to reach. What if some tax collector today heard us Pharisees praying a prayer like that, full of, full of ourselves, judgmental towards them? And we do that sometimes. Did you know that our stupid words and stupid prayers can drown out God's grace? This church could never be a place with bloodstained pews. We could never be a place where the wounded find healing irrespective of the color of their uniform. Or what if, and this happens way too often, what if the tax collector didn't even feel worthy to pray that prayer? Have you ever felt unworthy to pray? Thinking maybe your sins are too big or your sins are too many, why would God ever listen to a jerk like me? And we can be really stupid sometimes, guys. What if that tax collector is a neighbor or a relative or a friend or a colleague and we never took the opportunity we had to drag that tax collector into this place where they can find God's healing and grace. 
Because that's our job, guys. That's our mission from God. Guys, there is an antidote for pride, for that killing kind of pride, that most dangerous of sins. There is an antidote. We start with this prayer, search me, God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. And God knows your thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, God. Anything that offends you because I want to go down that path towards eternal life. God, show me. God, open my eyes. Clear the fog out of my brain. Let me see what you see in me so I can cooperate when you try to root it out. Guys, it starts with ruthless honesty so I can actually confess my sins to God. Confession. And I'm not just confessing my sin. I'm confessing, guys, that I am not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough to fix myself. Just God be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And then there's this thing we call repentance. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. I'm not just asking God to forgive me. I'm asking God to help me look at my pride the way he sees it. I don't like it here. I don't like what it's doing to me. I don't like what it can do to you. So, God, I want you to help me change, not just words. I want you to help me change. That's repentance. And then maybe the hardest of all, we accept his forgiveness. We accept his grace. We trust in the awesomeness of our God. Because, guys, when we ask God for mercy, when we ask God for grace, for forgiveness, he gives it to us. Do you trust him? C.S. Lewis said, if God forgives us, we've got to forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's like we're setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than him. Listen, guys, God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He paid an extreme price for your forgiveness. The pinnacle of pride is to refuse to accept God's grace. And then we give thanks. Thank God. Praise God. Isn't grace worth a little bit of gratitude, guys? You see, way too many of us, way too many of us, even in this room, we think God would rather condemn us than forgive us. We're so messed up. Do you know that God cares more about you than about what you've done? He cares about what you've done, but He cares even more about you. And did you know that God is more eager to forgive you than you are to ask His forgiveness? You know how I know? He forgave you before you ever sinned. That's what the cross is all about, guys. Who would forgive a man before that sin was ever committed, before the forgiveness was ever asked for? That's the real God. But you've got to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Because we can't save ourselves. We can't excuse our own brokenness. We can't forgive ourselves. Only Jesus can do those things. And guys, as long as we're going to be living in this world, we're going to be on a journey of grace. We haven't finished this journey yet. We're not going to finish that journey till we meet God face to face. It's all grace. That's why we're here, and that's what we get to offer our world. Isn't that cool? Guys, if you haven't started that journey with God, it's time. And if you want to talk about His grace, His forgiveness, I'm going to hang around down here at the front of the church at the end of this. Just come on down and let's talk a little bit. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your grace. Give us the wisdom, give us the courage to accept your forgiveness and to stand tall as people of God. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.
pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day
worship today. We pray that you will reveal within us what's keeping us from being able to serve you like we should. Reveal in me what you see that I keep refusing to see. Let me be a light to this world who needs you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. We'll see you again next week.